Hello and welcome. It's the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you for the next hour. As we get you set for the Thursday nighter, it's the Seahawks, it's the Cowboys. And a battle for placing in the NFC playoff race. Uh, Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic will join me in uh, about 15 minutes or so um, to talk about the Seahawks from their perspective. And Calvin Watkins from the Dallas Morning News will also be joining me in the second block as we talk about things from a Dallas perspective. Um, Thought I was going to start the show by talking about Aaron Rodgers potentially coming back. Um, but that changed. So we got a report out of Dallas from their ABC news affiliate WFAA. I believe it's ABC. I should probably double check that. Um, it is ABC, uh, WFAA in Dallas, uh, reporting that an arrest warrant has been issued for Buffalo bills, linebacker or defensive end, sorry, Vaughn Miller in a domestic violence case. The report states that his longtime girlfriend accused him of assaulting her at their Dallas home yesterday morning. His attorney has been contacted about the warrant, and they are trying to have Miller turn himself in. The report also states that the warrant is for assaulting a pregnant person, which is a third-degree felony. Now, just when you thought the Buffalo Bills and any of their players could not make any news this week because they are on a bye, we get this. And... Again, I'm just giving you the news and the latest. We do not know what happens next. Um, We do not know where this goes. So I am not going to make judgment on the situation without knowing exactly what happened, when it happened, where it happened, all that kind of stuff. But if this is in fact true, which I, I don't know whether it is or not, this is not a good look for Von Miller. It is not a good look for the Buffalo Bills and his future with the Bills. If it does, in fact, turn out to be true, um, may be in doubt. So we will keep an eye on this. Um, As anything breaks, we will certainly pass along news on this. But that is the latest as it stands. A an arrest warrant is out for Von Miller. in a domestic violence case. Um, We just wait on kind of what happens next here. So that's the latest surrounding Vaughn Miller. Um, Okay. On to actual football stuff. And Aaron Rodgers, he's sort of back. So yesterday the jets opened up the 21 day practice window for Rodgers as he continues to work back from the Achilles injury. And I, I stopped short of saying Achilles tear. Because this literally just happened. What are we, three months out from Aaron Rodgers injuring himself on the MetLife turf? Being chased by a Buffalo Bill, Leonard Floyd? I think it was Leonard Floyd. And three months later, we're having the practice window open. Like, there's something here that does not compute in my brain. Was it an actual Achilles tear? Because if that was the case, he must, if if it was an Achilles tear and he's back already, then this guy's superhuman or he has literally the greatest doctors that you've ever seen. And I know that Aaron Rodgers took a different approach. Totally fine by me. But 
this is a weird one for me. I don't, I don't really know how to assess my feelings because if it's an Achilles tear, he shouldn't be back yet. Which kind of leads me to the next part of this is that why is Aaron Rodgers pushing to come back here? Jets are four and seven. They're not good. He would be coming back to a team with an offensive line that frankly sucks. And why risk it? Like the everlasting image of Aaron Rodgers career should not be him going down on the turf at MetLife field on a non-contact Achilles injury, nor should it be Aaron Rodgers getting hurt a second time in the same year because his offensive line can't protect him. It just does not feel like there is a need to rush here. And I don't know if it's Aaron Rodgers feels that he needs to prove something or he needs to, you know, be superhuman for, for some, like, I don't know what the reasoning is, but when I look at the New York jets as currently constructed, I see literally zero reason for him to come back. If I'm being honest, I don't think he is going to come back because a lot of this depends on his health, of course, but also where the Jets are in the standings by the time he can actually return. And like I said, it's not like the Jets are going to be getting into the playoffs. Four and seven. And it's not as if they've been, they've shown that they've been good enough to be you know, super competitive. Yes, they're competitive in some games, but there's a lot of games that, well, they're not. Like this past Friday against the Miami Dolphins, the Black Friday game. It was horrible. In the next three weeks, in this 21-day window, they get to play the Falcons, they get to play the Texans, and they get to play the Dolphins again. Two of those games are at home. The first two are at home. So, Let's say we even give them the Falcons win because Arthur Smith can always find a way to screw things up. They're still five and eight. And five and eight, then you get the Dolphins for potentially Aaron Rodgers' first game back. And then they would have to run the table and potentially still not get in. I'm no math whiz, but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Probability, mm, not really in your favor. So having said all that, I just, I don't see a reason here. Like unless, unless he feels like he has to come back to help save, save Robert Sala's job because he likes Robert Sala. I can't see any other reason as to why Aaron Rodgers would even consider coming back at this point in time. It just, it, it, things are falling apart around the Jets. They signed Alan Lazard, Aaron Rodgers' buddy, to that big contract. He was a healthy and active this past week. They're going with younger guys. Like Dalvin Cook is not getting the, the same. Well, I mean, he wasn't getting a workload anyway, but they, they want to see what some of the younger guys can do. Like at tight end, like CJ Uzama is not getting as many looks now. And it's, you know, Jeremy Ruckert's getting a little more. And, and you know, Ty Conklin's still there. So, and, and the ghost of Randall Cobb, I don't even know if he's been active. I don't think he has been. So, this is not Aaron Rodgers' 
team right now, or at least the one that he thought was going to be constructed for him. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I would be very, I'm very skeptical that this is nothing more than, hey, let's give it the old college try, but if you're not ready, we're not going to rush you back. Because rushing him back would be frankly stupid. And as I, the more I speak, the more I talk myself into, that could happen because it's the Jets and they make a lot of really stupid decisions. We'll see what happens. But I don't think he's back. I don't think he's going to be playing the games the rest of the year. Now, someone that I do believe is going to be playing games the rest of this year, who is also of the elderly variety in terms of football age. And I hate saying that because I'm 34 and I would be old for football. I had a, on a sidebar, I had a conversation with someone yesterday in, uh, about a potential trade in a dynasty football league. And I said, George Kittle's 30. Ugh, who wants that? A 30-year-old football player? (laughs) No way. He's too old. Meanwhile, the guy's got the rest of his life ahead of him. 30 years old. I remember what I was doing when I was 30. Yeah, okay. Um, But anyway, speaking of old football players, Joe Flacco. Yes, the elite one. Joe Flacco might be making a start this Sunday. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR is in concussion protocol at last check. As of yesterday, he was in concussion protocol. And it's not P.J. Walker that is the backup. It is the elite Joe Flacco. And this is a big one for the Browns this week. It's a big one for the Rams as well because the Rams are still kind of sniffing around the playoff pictures. How, I don't know, but they are. And the Browns are in the playoffs with... Horrible quarterback play, essentially the entire season. And a lot of people are saying, well, it's Joe Flacco, and there's a reason why nobody picked him up. And okay, great. Can Joe Flacco really be any worse than what the Browns have been throwing out there? And that includes Deshaun Watson and that monster contract that he has. I don't think he can be. Because when you look at the numbers and you and you kind of – dissect how bad this Browns passing offense has been. Well, let's take a look. 27th in passing yards per game, 25th in yards per completion, 31st in yards per attempt, 29th in passing touchdowns per game, 26th in sacks given up per game. Now the sack thing may not change. Cause like I said, Joe Flacco is old as dirt. There's an old Italian saying he's older than the cough. That's pretty old. So, having said that, he's still going to get sacked a lot. But he may be able to at least manufacture something on offense because when we look at this Browns team, it is not like they're bereft of talent. They have talented football players. They have talented wide receivers. They have a talented tight end. Hey, they have a talented running back in Jerome Ford. But their quarterbacks... Well, they suck. That's not hyperbole. They suck. And Joe Flacco literally cannot be any worse. Like, do we really anticipate that Joe Flacco is going to, you know, be worse than, you know, let's call it the 27th or 28th worst passing offense in the entire league? Probably not. 
They're 27th in terms of passing yards per game. So even if we stick them, is Joe Flacco going to be tangibly worse? He might even be marginally better, which in turn takes a little bit of pressure off of that defense. Oh my goodness. An elite defense that really is put in tough situations because their offense is no good and they can't sustain drives. The most interesting thing that I'm looking for here is the rapport again with Joe Flacco and Elijah Moore. Because when Joe Flacco played, Elijah Moore with the Jets was good. And there is something there. And maybe that could be the spark. (laughs) I can't believe I just called Joe Flacco a spark. Welcome to football in 2023 where everybody has a horrible backup and you got to call Joe Flacco. I'm curious to see what Elijah Moore looks like because that is a weapon that, frankly, has not been used very well by the Cleveland Browns. But it could end up paying dividends here. I I know this really sounds like I'm talking about Joe Flacco as if he still plays for the Baltimore Ravens and was on the verge of winning a Super Bowl. I know that he's not that guy. But he's a lot closer to that guy than Dorian Thompson Robinson, than PJ Walker at this point. I actually think that this helps the Browns a lot more than having those guys in at quarterback. So we'll kind of see what happens going forward here with the Browns. But again, this is a big one for them. Big one for the Rams. I can't say that I will be glued to that game this weekend. But I will certainly have an eyeball on it. How about that? It may not be on the big screen, but it may be on a smaller screen like an iPad. How about that? We're not going to put them right up on the pedestal just yet. Because I've got to figure out what game goes on the big screen with no Bills football this week. So many options. Well, not really. There's a ton of teams on by. Uh, Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic will join us in just a few minutes uh, talking about the Seahawks. Calvin Watkins from the Dallas Morning News will also join us, and he'll join us in the second block. Um, But, you know, this Seahawks team, after last year, just was so fascinating because I really thought that a step forward was going to be coming. And basically, what we have figured out is Well, Geno Smith's kind of turned into a pumpkin a little bit here. He's more like the Geno Smith that we have seen in previous years, making bad decisions, throwing to the other team too much. See, these are problems if you're trying to be a playoff team in the NFC. Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic joins me now. Michael, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just I was just talking about the the Seahawks this year and and how to me they were coming into this year. I really found them as a very intriguing team because of the pieces that they added on offense because they drafted Devin Witherspoon who has been fantastic. But when you look at this Seahawks it's, the season, it's been a really weird one, a little bit of up and down and you know, there's the the saying in football like you kind of go where your quarterback takes you. But if there was ever a time that that saying really felt like a perfect way to describe a team, it really does feel like the Seahawks at this point, doesn't it? A, a little bit, because um, Geno hasn't been as good um, as he was last year. But honestly, the, the pieces around him haven't been good uh, either. At least haven't been consistent. There's been some good games, and then there's been some like really bad games, which is why they have a positive record. You know, They're 6-5 and five going into tonight. 
but they have a negative point differential, which um, is pretty telling at this point in the year. And it's not even like a single digit number. They're minus 20 right now. That's awful. I think that's worse than the Falcons, you know, uh, and you never want to be worse than the Falcons. Uh, so I think what's what's been telling about this season as well is the pieces around Geno, including the coaching staff. You know, uh, it doesn't feel like when you watch a Seahawks game on a weekly basis that on offense they have like an identity that they can turn to when things get bad. Um, that's not to say they need to be one-dimensional or do the same thing every week, you know, but every team has that, that drive or that, that moment in the game where it's like, all right, we've been struggling a little bit. If the team has some momentum, how can we get it back? You know, can we put together this 12-play drive? Can we, can we get back to whether that's running it or getting the ball in a certain playmaker's hand? You know, I think the Eagles have been a really good example of that. Like, if you watch Eagles games, they'll struggle for a little bit. I think they've been trailing at half for every game for, like, the past month. But what do they do, right? They get the ball back in DeAndre Swift's hands, and then next thing you know, it turns around, right? So I think the Seahawks, more than even uh, going as Geno goes, have been lacking that. You know, they just don't have that thing that they can go to when – they need a seven-minute drive or they're down, you know, in the fourth quarter. The, the other team has the momentum or whatever, you know, and that's been their biggest problem, I think, through however many weeks we are. And it, it, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was super bullish on this offense this year, adding Jackson Smith and Jigba and Zach Charbonnet to a group that includes DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Kenneth Walker. And I just thought it was going to be one of the more not only creative offenses, but one of the more unstoppable ones. And yet when you look at this and say, you know, 21st in yards per game, 32nd in time of possession per game, tied for 18th in points per game and 25th in touchdowns per game it really kind of feels surreal that this hasn't worked because it is certainly not for a lack of talent. Yeah. And that's what's been most frustrating for the players and the coaches and the fans, you know, in Seattle is that like, they're looking around like, Hey man, we got way too much talent to have those numbers that you just rattled off. And that's fair. Everyone would agree with that. Whether you agree with why that's the case is whatever, but everyone would agree that there's too much talent on the team to not be scoring you know, more points than teams like the Saints or something or whoever else is around there in that back half uh, of the league, you know. And I think, like I said, it goes back to not really having an identity. And that's important because, like, you, you just rattled off a lot of players, you know, but there's only one ball. And that's important because sometimes you do have to just decide, all right, these are the guys. Here is the pecking order. Everyone else is, our, is part of our counterpunch. Everybody else falls in line somewhere else. You know, and when you're trying to get three tight ends involved every week, when you're trying to get Jackson, Tyler, and DK involved and make sure you get the ball to Ken Walker and make sure you get Zach Charbonnet some touches, well, then, yeah, you're going to be a team that doesn't really have an identity. You're going to be a team that's like, all right, one week our tight ends have 100 yards combined. The next week Tyler goes off and has a game winner. The next week Jackson Smith and Jigba goes off. The next week Ken Walker has, you know, 26 carries. Now that's that's fine if you're an elite offense, you know, you can attack everyone every different type of way each week, but they're not an elite offense, uh, and they have these long scoring droughts where they just don't they don't put the ball in the end zone. You know, they don't even get across midfield for for long stretches. You know, it's a very frustrating offense because of how many weapons they have. Yeah, it's. I mean, even their red zone offense is like, oh my goodness, with all these guys that you have, you should be able to put up points at least by the time that you get there. I wanted to focus on on DK Metcalf here because. There were a lot of expectations, especially after last year where he had such a good year and and he's really been, you know, 
to me, he's the guy who should be taking the lead here. He's the guy who should be getting, you know, the, you know, the 10 targets a week because he profiles as that elite receiver and let the other guys, you know, kind of be the, the secondary and tertiary pieces. But what have you made of, of DK's year so far? And, and why is it so surprising? Or maybe it's not surprising considering the things that you mentioned that they're just other mouths to feed. And maybe he hasn't stepped up as much that he probably needs to. Yeah, I think the play calling hasn't been great, and I do think that the limitations of DK's skill set are starting to get uh, exposed when the play calling isn't great. Right? You can't treat, at least in my opinion, you can't just treat DK like a like a bigger Deshaun Jackson, right? Like that's and if you only watch a couple Seahawks games a year, that's what it will feel like. The highlights you'll see of DK are like, oh wow, he ran by that guy for like a 50-yard catch, you know, and the same thing when you watch like Deshaun Jackson, oh, he ran by that guy, you know, but DK is more than that, you know, he's he's built similarly and has the same athleticism, you know, as someone like A.J. Brown, you know, a college teammate of his, same draft class, same agent, you know, like they, they're very similar cats, but when you watch A.J., like, oh my goodness, this dude is a monster, look, he just jumped over that guy, just get, caught that slant, bounced off the guy, went 50 yards or whatever, you know, like you can maximize more of AJ's skill set. At least they have been in Tennessee and Philly. That's like DK has some of that and they just don't do it. Uh, and then he doesn't help himself sometimes by, you know, not always being super strong at the catch point. I mean, he's had issues with drops just like he did, you know, in the Thursday night game last week. Um, so I think it's a combination of things that's not living up to what, like, he should be when you watch him. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when I go back and watch the broadcast uh, copies of Seahawks games, they show, like, these slow-mos of DK at pregame with his shirt cropped, you know, six-pack showing, catching one-handers in the goal line like Odell, jumping in the air. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this guy's incredible. And you get in the game, and it's just, you know, a bunch of goal balls and one-on-one situations down the sideline. And you're like, okay, that's cool, but this guy appears to be able to do – a little more. So it's, it's not surprising that uh, there's, there's been a lot of inefficiency with throwing him the ball. I think he's like 74th in reception rate uh, among like 78 receivers or something. So throwing him the ball is not very efficient this year, uh, even if he gets thrown a, the ball a lot. So yeah, it's, it's not totally surprising because if I was a defensive coordinator watching this team and I'm like, oh, you guys are just about to have him run a bunch of go routes, we can figure that out, you know, um, and that's part of the problem with the offense. Um. Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic joining Matt Marchese here on the fan checkdown. Uh, wanted to had this conversation with uh, Sean King, former NFL quarterback, does some stuff for VEASAN. And we were talking about the QB class this year. And have we, uh, Geno Smith's contract is not super cumbersome. It's one of those that you can, you know, if you decide to take a quarterback in the first round, you can live with Geno's contract for another year, and then you can kind of figure out what to do with it. Could you see the Seahawks looking at their roster right now and knowing that they have some, let's let's face it, they have some really good pieces on both sides of the ball. And you see them at quarterback, and, and Geno Smith is a little bit older, and you look and go, okay, maybe he's not the long-term answer. He probably isn't. Could you see the Seahawks looking at this draft class and saying, you know what, we might want to take a shot on one of these quarterbacks because there's a lot of talent here and we don't have to rush them in because they can play behind Geno for a year if we need them to. Uh, Yeah, I think John Snyder, uh, the general manager, would love to take a quarterback every year, you know, uh, but he doesn't have final personnel, say Pete Carroll does. Not to say that Pete's like been telling him, hold off, Johnny, don't take QB, but their, their desires have to be aligned. And sometimes the coach and the general manager, not just in Seattle, but in every place, 
they aren't aligned because when you're the GM taking a future pick, like you just mentioned, like, Hey, you know, this guy might not help us now, but it'll help us later. Well, if you're the coach, you want to, you want to win now, right? Like, you know, every coach is feels like they're just one awful year from being fired. Um, not to say Pete is, but you know, a lot of coaches feel that way and they coach that way and they approach every season, you know, that way. So, um, Geno Smith contract is one you can kind of get out of. However, you have to get out of it pretty early if you if you do want to get out of it. In that you have to get out of it, I think around like February or March. You know, but so if if Geno's still on the roster by draft time, then that means they are committed to him to a, a certain level. So I would be surprised if they use the first round pick on a guy for that reason. Um, the other reason I think is because Pete Carroll is of the belief that the pieces around Geno haven't been great whether that's the O-line or receivers or coaches or, or whatever. You know, Pete Carroll just came out this week and was like, yeah, you know, I thought you got to use our guys differently. We're not using them right, and which is a huge indictment of his offensive staff, right? So if Pete's of the belief that the pieces around the quarterback aren't good enough, I would be surprised if he uses a first-round pick at least on a, a young quarterback who, whether you're Caleb Williams or you're the seventh quarterback taken in this next draft, you're going to need the pieces around you to be functioning at a high level. Right, more so than Gino, who can you know overcome a few things. So I think that would that's another reason why I'd be surprised if Pete took a quarterback, just because like all right, if our O line's already not blocking for our veteran dude who kind of knows protections and everything else, they're probably going to get a rookie killed, you know. In, in theory, you know, I could see Pete kind of looking at it that way. So yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if they took a quarterback early. I'm glad you brought up Pete Carroll there because how much of that conversation is about Pete and how much time he has left coaching in the NFL because I'm assuming it's one of those situations where Pete is going to decide whether he wants to continue and maybe not so much uh, anybody else. How much of that is Pete's like, you know, I may not have that many years left coaching. Uh, I want a veteran guy in there because he's going to give me a better chance to win. I don't have to develop a young guy right away. And it's just a, a much better trajectory for me, you know, as I near the end of my coaching career here. I don't know if Pete ever really sees an end. Like when I watch him, he looks great. He does look great, Michael. Like he's he's as he looks as healthy as a, as a horse. So I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. He certainly doesn't look seventy two. Yeah, no, nah, he plays scout team quarterback. You know, sometimes and it's just like, man, I don't think this guy's ever going to retire. You know, he clearly loves this stuff, and I don't I don't know how much starting over with a new quarterback factors in in that regard because Pete's thing is always. He's been around this game for a long time. You know, I found myself criticizing. I found myself criticizing Pete about like philosophy and like player usage and draft stuff. And I always gotta mentally like check myself to a point where it's like, yes, you can criticize the coach, right? He's not, you know, above criticism in that sense. But he has been coaching football for 50 years. He has won national championship in college and Super Bowl in the NFL. So it's like I gotta be careful telling him how balls should work, you know, to, to an extent. So. Uh, I, I think that his thing is, and it's a thing I agree with, the job, you should always try to make the quarterback's job as easy as possible. Yes, you'll have some quarterbacks who can mask some issues. But even if you get the, the best young guy who can run around and make all these throws, you're going to get far in the league when you build something around him that can make his job as easy as possible. So I think that that's where, if he has a quarterback he likes, like he currently does, I think that's always going to be his priority to make things around the quarterback better. Uh, and you look at what happened with Russell. Russell was able to thrive because he came into a good situation. If Russell had to come in and and be the 2019-2020 let Russ Cook version of himself, that thing would have fallen apart. He didn't have to. He was able to hand the ball to Marshawn a bunch, play action a bunch, play behind a good defense that kept him in games when Russ was struggling or the O-line stunk. 
you know, and then they were able to win the Super Bowl, you know. And in that Super Bowl, what did they do? They didn't need Russ to go crazy. They scored on defense. They scored on special teams twice, I think. Or no, at least once. So, I mean, that's – I don't think the age of the quarterback or the age of the coach really factor in in that sense because Pete's priority in my mind is always going to be let's build a thing around the guy and make it as good as humanly possible so all he does is just have to play point guard. Uh, one more before we let you go here, and we've talked for a long time, and we have not gotten in depth here on Devin Witherspoon, who has been arguably the best rookie defensive player in the league. I mean, Jalen Carter's also in that conversation, Will Anderson as well. But when you look at Devin Witherspoon, eighth in yards per reception, seventh in in yards per target allowed, uh, eighth in pass breakups, and certainly number one in confidence, um, is he playing even better than you could have expected? Yeah, you know, because when I watched Devin um, on his, like, Illinois tape, he was just playing, like, outside corner, which is you know, pretty normal. And he was really good at it. Now, he was also really physical. You know, he had run stops. I mean, the first one of the first plays, if you, like, Google Devin Witherspoon College highlights, it's him just blowing up some kid from, uh, I think, Indiana and flat on, like, a uh, running back screen or receiver screen or whatever it was. He's a dexterous kid. So I always knew he could hit, but I didn't realize that. I mean, think of what he's doing as a rookie, man. He's playing left corner in some formations, and then he'll just play nickel, and then he'll go back to left corner, you know, So and then he'll blitz. And then he's in the run fits when he's in nickel, and then, you know, obviously he's covering guys like Jamar Chase or whoever, or, you know, Rashad Bateman or uh, Debo and Ayuk or just some of these guys, Mari Cooper, some of these guys he's had to cover as the outside guy, and then he'll get in the slot and, and cover whoever. I mean, this dude is impressive to do all that stuff not just, like, from game to game, within a game. Like, people started, like, when Jamal Adams got hurt on uh, Monday night, uh, football against the Giants a few weeks ago. Spoon started that game at left corner. Jamal gets hurt nine plays in. All right, Spoon, we need you to play nickel now. I know we practiced all this stuff with you at left corner, but, hey, just on the fly because the guy bumped his head, you need to play nickel. And then he had a pick six and two sacks in that game. It's just an incredible um, instincts, incredible smarts, incredible versatility. that I just it, You just couldn't see that on his college film because he didn't do any nickel, you know. Um, he could play He could play man from the slot. That's not the same thing. So I am impressed with his versatility to be able to process all that stuff because rookies will tell you the game's moving so fast when they jump in. And this guy, it looks like it's moving slower than college. It's it's very impressive that he's able to do so much, which is why his numbers are so good too because he's everywhere. Yeah, and the the confidence thing is definitely there. I, I just love that he oozes confidence, and he'll t- he'll tell you about it. Like I, I don't even think it's arrogance. I think I mean when he backs it up with his play, he's confident. He knows how good he is, and and good for him. He's a he's certainly a, a treat to watch. I know a lot of football fans they just love the offensive side of the game, but boy, when you watch Devin Witherspoon, he is uh, he's a special player. Listen, Michael, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the game tonight. Thank you for having me. There he goes, Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic covering the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the other side of the ball, and that is America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. We'll talk with Calvin Watkins from the Dallas Morning News about Dak Prescott, the offense, and if this team has wildly exceeded any expectations that anyone could have possibly had. All that and more when we come back on the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network and wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thank you for listening. The Thursday nighter pits the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Seattle Seahawks. And you know, this Dallas team, I mean, there was a lot of criticism for them and warranted criticism heading into this year because Dak Prescott, you know, had thrown the ball to the other team too many times while not playing an entire season. And Mike McCarthy was bad at game management and they let go of Kellen Moore, let him walk all the way to Los Angeles to be the offensive coordinator of the Chargers. And yet we look at this team and we say, boy, oh boy, um, they are certainly outplaying our expectations here. Eight and three. They have a point differential of 162. They're five and zero at home. They're absolutely blitzing teams at home. And I never thought that AT&T Stadium, also known in these parts as Gerald World, could ever be a place that was such a fortress. And yet, here we stand with the Dallas Cowboys who beat teams by, you know, an average of 18 or 19 points over their last 13 games at home. It is an absolute fortress, that AT&T Stadium. And we'll see what happens tonight. It's a big one for both of these teams. Uh, The Cowboys trying to keep pace with the Eagles as best as they can. I mean, when the Bills hand the Eagles a win on uh, the the late window on Sunday, uh, that certainly doesn't help the Cowboys. Uh, Calvin Watkins covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, and he joins me now. Calvin, how are you? Oh, there we are. Sorry, Calvin, we just had a a connection issue there. How are you? Uh I'm good. You okay? Uh, yeah, we're all good. We're all good here. Um, it's Thursday. There, it should be a good matchup. I mean, I'll be disappointed because the under will hit, but you know, we're we're trying to get through it. It's a prime time <laughs> game. Um, I was just talking about the the Cowboys and coming into this year, there were a lot of questions. You know, whether it be Mike McCarthy on the hot seat, uh, Dak Prescott with you know maybe getting an extension soon, and after coming off of a year where not only did he not play the entire season, but he threw the ball more to the other team. Then he did a lot of other quarterbacks. And so coming into this year, there were a lot of questions. But when you look at how the season has gone, you know, even even with the loss in there to Arizona, which everybody went, oh, boy, here come the Cowboys again. How would you how would you evaluate this year from Mike McCarthy and company? Well, they're, they're doing pretty good so far. Uh, but they've beaten up a lot of uh, sub 500 teams. So this next stretch of uh, games for them will tell us a lot about uh, their season. Uh, but so far, this looks like a playoff team. Uh, you, you know, if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to be disappointed in the, in the losses to San Francisco and to Philadelphia. Obviously, losing at Arizona wasn't uh, a positive thing either. But I would say Dak Prescott is playing a lot better than he was last year. Uh, City Lamb has been outstanding uh, this season. I can nitpick and say I wish they would run the ball a little bit more. I think that's something that they're going to need to do later in the year. Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons, Deron Bland has been outstanding, especially after the Cowboys lost uh, Trayvon Diggs to a torn ACL. So, overall, I think this is a good team. Uh, They're one of the the title contenders uh, in the NFC, but I wouldn't say they're an elite team yet. So, we'll have to find out at the end of the year if if we can say they're an elite team. 
Has the temperature cooled on on Mike McCarthy, or is this? Yeah, Mike McCarthy has success in the regular season, but he's got to win multiple playoff games to keep his job. Like, is that kind of the narrative, or do you think the way that the team is played, and you know, even they can only play the schedule that's in front of them, so beating bad teams is part of it. Do you think that that's at least cooled that conversation or is it going to come down to if Mike McCarthy doesn't win playoff games here, we're going to be having a different discussion? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> if they say they get to the playoffs, right, which I think they will, and they get to the wild card round and they get knocked off by, I don't know, uh, New Orleans or somebody, then Mike McCarthy, you might be needing to sell your house, you know, because that, that's pretty bad. Uh, they get to the divisional round of the playoffs, which is what we're all thinking they usually do, then I think Mike McCarthy is okay for the simple fact that McCarthy's got one more year left on his contract next year. So why fire him when you got when you have, when you can pay him to work for you? You know, you know what I'm saying? So I think he's okay unless they have a sudden collapse here at the end of the regular season and miss the playoffs where they get knocked out in the wild card round. But I think he's okay. And, and, you know, the offense, there were, there were a lot of criticisms for the offense early in the year. They weren't pushing the ball down the field. They, you know, they weren't getting CD lamb nearly as involved as they probably should have. Cause he's fantastic. And, and as the season progressed, they started to change the mentality a little bit. They started to move the ball down the field. They started to target CD lamb more. Hey, they even got Brandon cooks involved, which is why you traded for him. Um, but when you look at this offense under Mike McCarthy, comparatively, to Kellen Moore's last year, um, might we be having the conversation that maybe it's a little bit better considering that they actually haven't been able to run the ball nearly as well as they did last year. And that's actually been, you know, a staple of the Cowboys in the, in the Ezekiel Elliott era anyway. And even before that, um, are you surprised at how well the offense has played later on in the season, considering they haven't been able to run the ball all that well, albeit except for the last two weeks? Yeah, I am a little bit. Um, but McCarthy, you know, has, has a proven track record as an offensive play caller. Uh, as you know, from him being in Green Bay and, and New Orleans and, and whatnot. In uh, the running game, I think should be a lot should be a lot better. Uh, I think the, con- the lack of continuity has kind of hurt it early in the season. The last, uh, say, three weeks, the offensive line has stayed the same, no injuries or anything of that nature. So that, that is helpful. I just don't think they run it enough. You know, I think uh, Tony Pollard should get maybe 15, you know, carries a game, a little bit more than that. But McCarthy is, is run heavy. Excuse me, uh, he's pass heavy. And, you know, so far so good for them. Um, I think one of the keys for McCarthy is when they switch the offense from uh, – a timing-based offense last year under Kellen Moore to this West Coast offense. They wanted Dak Prescott to get the ball, get rid of the ball quicker. Three-step drops, boom, get rid of football. Running uh, shorter routes for the receivers, let the receivers get some yak yards, utilize the tight ends. Jake Ferguson's having a pretty good season so far. And and also telling Dak, don't be afraid to throw, throw it deep down the field. That was a touchdown he threw to uh, Brandon Cooks last week in Detroit, but it was two guys on Brandon Cooks, and he made a nice little – a uh, shake move, and he got free for a touchdown. So um, those types of things, challenging the defense deep, uh, quicker passes, and, and and just protecting the football. As you know, Dak led the NFL in receptions last year. I think he 15. This year he's not even in double digits. You know, we got like seven games left or whatever. 
So he, all those little things have kind of helped the Cowboys, and I think that's because McCarthy's a veteran coach in comparison to Kellen Moore, who is a younger coach um, but doesn't have the experience of getting things done. You see what he's doing in L.A. with the Chargers. You know, it's not like – you know, and they're a pretty good offense too, but I just think things are better in Dallas with McCarthy than, than they were with Kellen Moore. Calvin Watkins covers the Dallas Cowboys for the Dallas Morning News, joining Matt Marchese here on the Fan Checkdown. So with Dak – um, obviously the extension talks are something that gets brought up a lot. And, you know, after last year, there were uh, at least a few Cowboys fans that I know, uh, and, and I know a lot of them that are not Dak guys. And it's been the conversation. Like there were a lot of people that weren't Romo guys. How do you think the narrative on Dak has changed this year? Or do you still think that the people that are, are not Dak guys and they're Dak haters, they still hate them. And then the ones that love him still love him. Like there's kind of no, it feels like there's no gray area with Dak Prescott. I think he's a really good quarterback. I thought that since he came into the league and he's going to get a big extension, like the Cowboys aren't going in a different direction here. We can pretty much say that with almost certainty, but what is the narrative surrounding Dak in Dallas right now? Yeah, it's still the same. Um, and it always is. If you love Dak or you hate him, it kind of reminds me of Tony Romo where Romo had the same type of, uh, Attention! He liked Tony. He didn't. Um, and a lot of people here in Dallas don't believe Dak can lead him to the championship, and that's fine. And there's some that are like, "Yeah, I'm very happy that Dak is playing so well, but we're waiting for the shoe to drop." You know, so it, it's a, it's a mixture of everything uh, with Dak. Uh, I think he's a very good quarterback. Um, you know, uh, I look at when you watch if you watch football across Sundays, you know, the Red Zone Channel or the highlights or whatever, quarterbacks will miss throws from time to time. That's just how it is. They all miss throws. They all throw interceptions. Um, it's just what it is. Um, and, and but here it seems if Dak misses a throw, people will say, oh, my gosh, Pat Mahomes never missed that throw. Well, Pat Mahomes has missed throws. You know, so I just tell people all the time, watch other quarterbacks across the league. You know, and then you, Josh Allen, that man has led the NFL in, in turnover since he, since he stepped a foot in the NFL stadium, you know. So that's Josh Allen, who's a high draft pick. So, you know, people just need to calm down, put this whole thing in perspective a little bit when it comes to Dak. And, and, and sometimes they don't, but that's why they're fans, right? Uh, yeah, they are. And as a Buffalo Bills fan, I know all too well about all those turnovers for Josh Allen. So thank you again for bringing that. Even on the bye week, Calvin, I can't get away from it. Um, the the other guy that is going to get a hefty raise is C.D. Lamb. And he's got one year left on his deal. And then he's eligible for to become a free agent uh, in the 2025 season. So he's got one year left after this year. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, he's really established himself, in my opinion, especially of late as, you know, one of the, let's call him five to eight best receivers. Because I think it's very interchangeable from like, you know, three to eight. I think they're all kind of in the same window here. Um, What kind of deal do we think? Like, do we think that CD Lamb gets that big money extension that these number one receivers are getting? Or is there still some hesitation in some circles about CD Lamb as the guy? I mean, I don't see that, but you know, Richard Sherman was a guy who said he's, he's a wide receiver too. He's like T Higgins or Jalen Waddle. Well, those guys are wide receiver ones on any other team than the one that they're on. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty good company, but CD Lamb is a legit number one receiver. Do you think that this is an easy extension to get done or considering, you know, kind of the, the cap gymnastics that the, the Cowboys have to do a little bit here, that it may be a more difficult one. 
I think early in the year, it was a little, I think there was some hesitancy to give him a contract extension. Obviously, they picked up the fifth-year option. I think at $17 million, I believe, next year. And so that that's an easy thing to do. Um, and then they, they had the game in San Francisco, and C.D. Lambs, they got like three catches. And then C.D. said, hold up a second. And he went to Dak and Mike McCarthy and Brian Schottenheimer, the defensive coordinator, and they had a little powwow. And they said, hey, if, you want me, if I'm the number one receiver on this team, you got to give me the football. And then all of a sudden, boom, C.D. started getting the football. And so now, I think based on what he's done over the last couple of weeks, yes, he is the number one receiver. Yes, he will get a contract extension. Uh, how much, I'm not really sure, because as you know, the Cowboys have a lot of people to pay. Like a Parsons, he's trying to get $200 million. Dak, he said, the salary is going, to be, it's going to be probably $50 million, you know, or this new extension he's going to get. So, Deron Bland, in, in another year, they're going to have to take care of him. So, there's a lot of things they have to do uh, salary-wise uh, with a lot of these players. And, and CD is, 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 I wouldn't say he's at the top of the list because Dak is, but definitely CD is number two on the list, and you've got to pay him something. And he is legit number one. Like, if you put CD on the Steelers, you would say he's the number one guy, right? If you For put sure. him on the, on the Bills, on the Bills, he's, he might be a number two, right? That, that, that's fair because you got digs, right? Um, but if you put him, say, on, on the Jets, you might say, is he better than uh, uh, Gary Wilson? Probably because Gary's young. So uh, there are a lot of teams you can put CD on, and you'll say he's the number one guy. Seattle, no, that's DK Metcalf, obviously. So, but uh, he's a legit number one, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Okay, uh, quickly, because uh, we have to get to this, because he's had yes, such sir. an incredible year. Um, you don't need to answer quickly. I need to ask it quickly. Uh, Deron Bland made a lot of people forget <laughs> that Trevon Diggs was hurt. Um, he has more touchdowns than a lot of really good receivers this year. Um, where did this come from? Because it's not like Deron Bland was a high draft pick. It's not like he went to a big school. Like he started at Sacramento state. He went to Fresno state uh, to finish up his college career. And now he's just become like, he's become the big play guy and, and he's been incredible and still has lots of time to add to this record. What is it just an opportunity here for Deron Bland? And that's what we're talking about. You know, uh, Mike McCarthy gets a little irritated when we ask him, did you notice know about Deron Bland? He's a fifth-round pick. And McCarthy goes, well, you're not drafting guys to be scrubs. You're drafting guys <laughs> to be good. So, it, but let's be honest, the Cowboys, when you get a guy in the fifth round, you're not expecting him to, to, you know, set a record for pick sixes in NFL history. You're not expecting that. What are you expecting? You're expecting a guy in the fifth round to play special teams and be a, a key contributor. But if he becomes a starter, fantastic. That's what they got in Tony Pollard. Look what they got in Dak Prescott, who was another, uh, another second-day pick. Um, the, the interesting thing about Deron Bland is he was a highly sought-after player in high school, didn't have the grade. So, you know, he goes to Sacramento State. And then in, in COVID, he says, man, I can't, you know, Sacramento State's like, we're not going to play any games. Fresno State is, so he goes to Fresno State. And Fresno State plays some Pac-12 schools. So that's how he got, that's how he got uh, you know, discovered by a lot of NFL teams. So it's all about luck. He's been playing fantastic. He does a great job on the ball. He's a real physical player, smart kid. Um, it's everything that you would want. Um, you know, were other teams interested in him? Sure they were. But it's all a matter of when do you draft a kid like that? And the Cowboys obviously lucked up. The draft, let's be honest, sometimes it's skill. 
and drafting a guy, sometimes it's luck. Hey, this guy just fell to us, and we got him, and he's a great player. You know, and that's what it was a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. I just had a conversation with Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic about defensive players and how exciting they are to watch, and Devin Witherspoon is in that conversation. Deron Bland is absolutely in that conversation because uh, I can't wait till he gets another pick six and passes more receivers uh, for touchdowns on the year because that's always a fun story. Listen, Calvin, uh, you've been very gracious with your time. Thank you very much for doing this today. Really appreciate it, and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks. You take care. There he goes. Calvin Watkins from the Dallas Morning News. Two corners in this game that are going to be a lot of fun to watch. Not to mention that, you know, that Micah Parsons guy is is pretty good too. And then there's the players on the offense. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you know what's going to happen? Because I'm going to tell you in my best bets what's going to happen. This game's going to hit the under. That's one of the best bets for tonight because every primetime game decides to disappoint when you really want them not to. Under 47 and a half for that one. And then the other one, you know Geno Smith is throwing an interception tonight. Geno Smith over half an interception. It's coming. We all know it's coming. That's going to do it for us today here on the Fan Checkdown. Thanks to Lance behind the glass. Thank you to Michael Jean Dugar from The Athletic for joining me to talk Seahawks and for Calvin Watkins to talk Cowboys from the Dallas Morning News. We will be back tomorrow to recap tonight's game and look ahead to what should be another fun weekend of NFL football. Matt Marchese signing off for the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have a wonderful evening. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.